Welcome to the Pain of Scale, the Notion Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Notion Podcast. As always, I'm with Stephen. How are you, Stephen? Yes, I'm very well, Paul. And yourself? Very, very good, as always. And I am very much looking forward to the episode today because I think that the guest we have is someone you know quite well. So that will be a fascinating discussion, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Um, I'm, I'm really delighted to welcome Carmen Carey to, to join us today. Carmen and I work together uh, message Labs, and uh, you know we won't dwell on that story too much, but I'm, I'm sure it'll come up a, a, a little bit because it had a probably profound impact on both of us, and, and Carmen had a profound impact on on me too, and um, that's why I'm so excited. One that she's on the podcast, but two that she's now working in one of our portfolio companies as well. So, Carmen, great to have you with us. Thank you, Stephen. It's a pleasure to be here. So, I'll just blow Carmen's content. <laughs> she's an extraordinary individual. She's, she's had a, um, a really stellar career in the technology industry, both at an operational and an exec level. You know, companies like Pika Systems, Metapack, and, and Message Labs, which is where we worked together. And I was thinking about this the other day, and, and I was thinking, reflecting back on when we worked together, Carmen, and you probably don't realize the influence you have on people, but you're one of the people that gave me confidence to kind of say, actually, there's some things here that aren't working quite right. There's some kind of business operations that we need to really kind of grow up and, and scale up. And that really ties into the, the conversation today. So uh, I've always looked back on that time with... Uh, a lot of fondness and really enjoyed working with you. Well, likewise, Stephen. We did some we did some great things at Message Labs together and, and with an amazing team. And I think Message Labs for me uh, embraces a lot of the, the topics that I think you want to cover today. And it's funny how the the themes don't change that much, but the context do and the and the kind of nature of, of the people and the and the technology capabilities we have and the problems we're trying to solve in terms of the products we're bringing to market are, are clearly the, the contextual changes. But it's fantastic to, to talk about scaling a business because it's definitely my passion. Yeah, and and we should just position your your role now. So Carmen you're now the COO at Unbabble. This was one of our first Series A investments out of um, Fund 3. And it's an extraordinary business out of Lisbon that's, that's really looking to break down the language barriers for, for big business, creating kind of really seamless, scalable translations between companies and their, and their customers. A very exciting business and opportunity. So I'm delighted that you're there. With a with a hand on the tiller, maybe. <laughs> yes, indeed. Several. Yes, several. I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> let me let me just kind of set the scene in terms of the the, the conversation, because what we want to focus on today, Paul, is the, the the company building aspect of the startup grow up scale up journey. That that says, how do we actually build a a business that is viable for for scale as we're going through rapid growth? And we'll talk about it in the context of. We can talk about it in the context of Message Labs, which when I joined, there were, I think, 100 people. And when X did, it had 600 people. When we invested in Unbabble, they had 25 people. How many today, Carmen? And how many? Uh, nearing 150 now. And, you know, th that's a profound wow. challenge, isn't it? And, and, we, you know, when I look across all of our portfolio, and we've made 55-plus investments, they're all different, but they all have a lot in common. And one of the most common challenges is about... Actually, how do I actually build a company to solve this problem 
at scale. And, and that's, that's really what we're going to get into today, I think. If, if I contextualize it, I think about companies over, probably overly simplistically in terms of startup, grow up and scale up. You know, startup is, am I solving a problem worth solving? And Unbabble has nailed that. Um, this is a big problem that's really worth solving. They're breaking down language barriers. So the next phase where I think Unbabble is, and you might um, disagree, that's fine, is the grow up phase that says, actually, how do I now build repeatable processes? How do I build a business that can take that problem and execute at increasing scale? And then as you, maybe in a couple of years, we'll come back and say, okay, how are we actually going to go through the, the mega scale phase, you know, the getting really big, really fast? Do you think that's where you are? Are you in the, that kind of grow up phase right now? We're definitely in the grow up phase, Stephen, and, and, and the signs are everywhere. So it's, um, it, it's one of those times where, first of all, you just have to recognize it and, and embrace where you are. And you have to collectively, as a leadership team and the entire business, look at yourself in the mirror and say, we are going through a transformation here because of our success. And, and we need to ensure collectively how we're going to, to succeed and thrive, uh, not just as a business in terms of how we're performing, but as people in this business feeling as though they're part of the, the journey and make it happen. So we're, we're squarely there. Absolutely. For you, what are the telltale signs? So you mentioned repeatable process a moment ago, Stephen, and there's a couple of things that I'll probably touch on here because, um, you know, I'm living it now and, and we lived it together in, in the past and, and we tackled them. So I think the first thing is this whole concept of manual and, and not repeatable processes that are inhibiting your scale. You're using people instead of automation. So there's this lack of a common understood end-to-end sales-to-service perspective. How do we identify, close, onboard, delight, and expand our customers and all of the processes underneath that? And that is your people process, your product process, your quote-to-cash process, your, your marketing processes, your reporting and KPIs. But we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But there's this kind of this simple view that you look around the business and you go, People are doing too many things manually and in a non-repeatable, scalable way. And, and underpinning that is a lack of a digital, and I'm not talking digital marketing, I'm talking enterprise architecture, digital automation strategy that's going to enable this. So you've got kind of two things happening here. You've got people that are down in the weeds working in spreadsheets, and you probably have technology all over the place, tools and systems, but we haven't stepped back yet and said, how do we cohesively define these things and and how do we optimize them? And what's the the enabling technology strategy within the business that complements our product offering that that is the glue that makes this happen? That's one. It's almost like you need to imagine yourself above the business looking down on it. And it's a machine, and, 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 and how is actually everything working together? I, I kind of almost imagine lots of people running around doing lots of things, and you say, okay, right, this doesn't quite make sense. We need to be far more predictable. Yes, and, and it's interesting that you, you just can refer to that separating yourself and looking, looking from that higher perspective, and call it the big picture, call it whatever you wish, but it is the sense of 
having that end-to-end view of the business where the business has grown very rapidly and people are in functional silos. And especially when you're a SaaS business, and you know this better than anyone else, you are delivering an outcome. You're delivering a business service to your customers and, and they just expect it to work. And that's just not the feature function of my product translates your, your German into French and, and it does in an X period of time within your CRM system it's that plus I want to understand what my what is my performance within your systems? What's happening with my transactions? What is my personal company volume? What are my users doing? What does my invoice look like? Am I am I about to burst past my subscription? It's the monthly reporting and and the packaging, the support experience, the customer success experience. It is everything about that business outcome you're delivering to your customers that creates a friction-free uh, experience for them but also delights them so that they grow with you so that that you are able to say, we've proven the value proposition and we've added this extra value on top. Every part of the business that you touch with us is pointed towards you and it's seamless. And, And I think you can only get that if you kind of separate yourself from I work in product or I work in sales, I work in support and say, what are we trying to achieve here beyond, you know, that, as you said, in the, in, the, in the early days where we understand what problem we're going to solve, how do we make that seamless and end and, and, and experience for your customers? And I, and I find it especially kind of interesting when you go into companies that are quite engineering led, they're very engineering centric in terms of the founding teams and kind of the disproportionate population mix of people that start the business. And then how as you as you you know you grow and you get more people in, you start to balance that with knowledge workers who need process and they need content, they need to know where things are, they like to use systems. But a lot of times your your creators, your orchestrators of these amazing products aren't really going to understand or really care about CRM or my finance system, my ERP system or my project management system. So you need to think about how do I augment the thinking with not just the vision, but the right people to start to bring these pieces together. I like the kind of grow up analogy. It is it is like a almost the, the teenage into kind of you know, college years, isn't it? Where we're actually you're you're really going through quite a kind of hormonal transformation in a way, and um, you can't just kind of live in your own little world. You've actually got to have a a much broader perspective. But one of the problems, challenges I see, and I'm going to tie tie back to what you said. Many of these companies, and let's say the many of the most profoundly successful enterprise technology companies, are led by engineers and certainly product visionary CEOs. They've probably never done this before. So you're coming in and, and you're the, 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 the scale-up exec. You've been there. You've done it. You, you, you're looking at this and I know what the growing pains are. What advice do you give to the CEO and, and, and what have they got to learn in kind of rapid order? I might just come back to that, that point in a minute because there's a couple other points, I think, about the telltale signs that might help with the answer to the question you just asked me about. So maybe we can dig into a few more of the, those telltale signs, Carmen. Yeah, I, I, there's a couple of the things Stephen, that come to mind for me right now in terms of recognizing you, you might need to, to grow up. One is governance and metrics and the, how the dialogue in the business and with your stakeholders might need to change. 
really understanding what's important in terms of business performance across the business. How are we tracking it and how are we communicating it to, to our people inside the business, to our board, to future investors as an exec team? And, and how are we leveraging information to drive continuous improvement? Because as you know, we, you know once you fix something, you have to invest in ensuring that it continues to evolve as your business evolves. So it's fit for purpose for some time, but we always need to move forward. So I, I look at business and understand, you know, where are we in our government? So pricing, for example, you know, when it was kind of four or five salespeople that could sit around a table and, and they could figure out what they wanted to do with pricing, great. But as we get more mature and we really need to understand how pricing affects our strategy, our competitive edge, our value proposition, our margins, we have to scale it across a global team all over the world. We need to get some governance in place because now we have we have a much more robust layered sales organization. Things like pricing and putting enabling systems in place to help control that is another example. So looking at governance, financial governance, business metrics, understanding how we use the information we have to understand how we're doing and how we're going to respond to that. I think sometimes we have to take that up a level because you're going out of a realm of, of necessarily that small group of people using intuition to, to enabling a larger group of people to contribute more, and we have to have a common understanding of our performance. The other thing that I think is happens in a lot of businesses, and, and this is about people. So when you go from 10 sitting around a table to N, and, and you know we're talking hundreds now in terms of that dramatic shift in growth, your people thing will start to wobble. You, you may not have infrastructure in place that enables you to onboard people easily. So how do we onboard them? How do I enable them? How do I make sure they are they understand what their job is, how they are developed, how they grow, and what success looks like? So that kind of concept of a people architecture, which understands roles, job families, levels, tracks, how do I develop my people? Are they individual contributors? Do they have leadership skills? Your professional development strategy and a compensation strategy sounds really boring, but it's really important because you're talking about a new demographic of people that you've probably gone out and invested heavily in attracting some of the best talent in the world to your business from companies that have this in place. So they have an expectation, but it also creates a platform just like your systems platform to, to scale your people. You may also have a challenge around people who are Peter principled, right? They've They've been there from the start, and a lot of startups don't have the capacity, the money, the time, the know-how to invest and develop in scaling people. And, and so I think you need to look at that and understand how you invest and, and bring people with you. And also, what are the, the kind of killer gaps that irrespective of how much you invest in an individual, you can't replace experience. So understand, I call these pillar people. Where are your pillar gaps in your foundation that you need to go and fill? Is it a, you know, your sales lead? Is it somebody in operations? Is it a, is it a CFO? Is it a product person? 
maybe a, a mix of many things at different levels, but you need to have an honest conversation about that because those people will often have an exponential effect on the business in terms of not just bringing their experience and their skill, but if you get the culture fit right, they'll bring passion and that kind of commitment to teach and, and enable and empower so the organization all lifts up because you've planted a few powerful pillars within the business. And the last telltale sign I'll, I'll, I'll mention, it's around people as well, fundamentally, Stephen, is communication and alignment. So how do you make sure that you have context and infrastructure to make sure everyone hears the message from the CEO, that everyone understands the, the strategy, that everyone knows the big deals we're working on, that everyone knows who the new starters are, that everyone knows where we're going in terms of our partnering strategy. How do you make people aware in a common way and how do you make them feel engaged? You know, at Message Labs, we launched our quarterly, you know, business reviews internally where we you know we had offices around the world and we made sure that we we did these religiously and that there was an executive present in all the global offices when we did them and it was profoundly impactful because people felt like they were treated the same they didn't have to be at headquarters to get that same experience and and everyone got the same information so so it's it's thinking through how do i do this on a micro basis within my team that might be growing and going global and how do i do this on a macro basis so nobody's left behind and we keep the spirit of our mission our vision our strategy and our measures front and center in everybody's minds that gets a lot harder in the grow-up phase yeah, i mean that you, you you're talking about a, a fundamental kind of process of transformation for the business a growing up phase as as, as we call it i mean i like the fact i like the uh, the analogy of the pillars who kind of you can then build on but what about the man or woman at the top the ceo the product visionary that, that we talked about he or she may never have done this before so what advice do you give though those people when you're coming in and, and what what do you really need them to learn and i suppose what do you, how do you need them to feel as well would be interesting it's a really good question and, and certainly um now I, I work, um, you know, work with an amazing founding CEO and founding CTO, and their experience is quite different from mine in terms of you know the businesses that they've they've worked with in the past and being founders and and not necessarily going through this grow up phase as I have in the past. And so I think that the first thing that I I think is so important is when those CEOs recognize that they are open just saying, I, I know I don't have everything it needs to do this on my own. And they have a self-awareness moment and, and I need to understand what my gaps are and how I fill those gaps for the company to be successful, but also for me to learn as well. So I think the first thing I always look for is what's the level of self-awareness of this person who who is authentically and sincerely saying, I would like to team with a team of people 
that will make this business better and help me be a better professional. So I think take a little trip into self-awareness, however you need to do that, because there's a lot going on in the mirror, Stephen, in terms of you know where you are. And it's a big deal to be an entrepreneur. I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm someone who comes in and works with entrepreneurs and hopefully helps. But I have a tremendous respect for this. And, and also, I understand that they have gaps. So I think self-awareness is really key. The next thing is I kind of touched on a moment ago is understanding what kind of leader you're going to be. So how do I, as the founding and entrepreneurial CEO, need to be in terms of empowering, enabling my teams to do their work and really to excel where I have gaps and also dealing with the external community and defining what that looks like and being super clear and transparent with that team and with the business about Folks, this is where I'm coming from. Here's where I excel. Here's where my priorities are. And and I'm going to empower my team and you guys to do these things. So I think there's an an understanding of what kind of leader I'm going to be, where some CEOs that do it for the first time really take to the operational process. They really take to the numbers. and, And they're really in the business. And others want to be more external. They really want to focus on being that visionary leader and and constantly selling the vision of the business internally to create the interest and the wave to to drive the business forward and and introduce the business to new opportunities in that context and and i I think the the next thing is is i talked about empowerment a a moment ago but i i think that this is really clear and i actually learned a load from adrian chamberlain who laterally was our ceo at, at message lab so hats off to, to Adrian for a massive lesson, lesson for me about delegation and how delegation will set you free. So the, the dependency to delegate is knowing you have competent, talented, capable, and, and trustworthy people on your team. If you're able to break through the barrier of saying, I need help, you're able to to work with your team and your board and your the people who are invested in your business, not just financially, but emotionally invested in, in your business to find good people. You need to empower them. And empowerment means delegating and making it really clear what they need to do and what success looks like and enabling them to do that with their magic without micromanaging them. So learning that skill and learning how to say, I don't have to control this. I don't have to do this myself. I have amazing people. We understand what good looks like because we can measure it and we can talk about it and we'll adjust when things aren't going well and we'll accelerate when, when we figure out the magic sweet spot. So I think empowerment and delegation would be next on my list. And, and finally, irrespective of, of all of that, I think that the CEOs, no matter kind of where they come from and, and where their kind of strengths are, need to invest in understanding the numbers of the business. How is the business doing? And how do I ensure that I'm, I'm informing myself about business performance so that I am the first person who understands what's working and not working? Not that I'm necessarily going to personally fix the problems, but I understand the problems and I can, I can discuss the problems and I can enable my team to address them. But I can also then accelerate and invest in the things that are working well. Gosh, you know, we really hit a sweet spot in this vertical market. Let's double down on our investment in sales and marketing there. Or, you know, we're really seeing this geography take off. If we if we put another, you know, 
dollar in? Can we get $10 out in, in six months? So let's make that investment. I think it's that kind of wisdom, at just being aware so that the numbers help to guide that dialogue and inform that dialogue. There's a, there's a profound trust that, that, that you need to have at that kind of leadership level um, to be able to, to operate in that kind of way. How, how do you break down, down those kind of barriers? It, it's hard, Stephen. It's really hard, right? Because you, you've been through this. Uh, when you're growing up like this, everyone's super busy, right? And, and probably somewhat overloaded with trying to drive this transformation with automation, onboarding people, blah, 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 and, and still make space to build rapport and trust and just be human beings. I think this is a super important element, and thanks for calling it out. We all have to make time for one another. We have to invest in our relationships with one another because ultimately when push comes to shove, we want to all know we have each other's backs in that really heartfelt, sincere way because we're bought into the vision of the business and we're bought into one another. And that takes time. So that means taking people out of the context. And our CEO is particularly good at this and saying, let's go and let's carve out some time together so we can talk about issues we can get to know each other better. We can do an activity, but it's it, it's purposeful, but it also doesn't necessarily have an agenda. And and then there's the time that you spend, you know, doing the hard work of strategy, what's happening with performance, etc. But it's a balance of both because it, it takes time. Trust takes a lot of time, especially when you are in this phase. Me as an example, I come in. I'm from a different kind of demographic. I've got different experience. I'm new. And, and that novelty creates some, some distance because I don't know you and, and you're different from me. So just like any relationship, you have to find the common ground. You have to build on that common ground. And you have to appreciate where you have differences and understand how you work with those. We did a podcast um, a good few months back with a guy called Mike Snelling. You probably remember it, Paul. And he, he talks about, he's from the table group. Um, Mike's the principal there. And um, he talks about the, the fundamental critical building block is, is about building trust. And you do that by, by creating vulnerability. You're actually willing to trust each other enough to, to be open about your weaknesses. And... Um, the guys at Message Labs used to do this quite well. And I don't know if you went through it. Um, I only really experienced this kind of, um, to be honest, when I joined Notion. And we went on an offsite, And we sat down, um, the leadership team at Notion, and um, Chris Topman was leading it. And he said, right, so, um, Stephen, how do you feel? And I was like, what do you mean? He said, what are you worried about? You know, what's, what's going on with you? Are, are you happy? Are you enjoying yourself? Are you, are you feeling fulfilled with work? And I was like, whoa. And he said, tell you what, I'll go first. And then everybody around the room said, this is how I feel. This is what I'm worried about. This is what I'm concerned about. This is what's going well for me. This is what's going badly. This is where I need help. And it was just profoundly impactful on me. I think that if you can get that kind of cohesion within a team and the willingness to share that kind of stuff, you, you, can, you can achieve some extraordinary things, can't you? I couldn't agree with you more, Stephen. And, and it's funny that... Um... When I was at Message Labs, I decided to take a, a week-long course at, at London Business School that was amazing. And so they did all kinds of 
interesting uh, assessments of you and um, and your personality and, and your strengths and weaknesses and characteristics, etc. And, and and one of the things that I had to do was ask colleagues of mine to participate in a 360. And one of the things that came out of that was that I was really capable of being quite aloof. And that's that's an interesting word, aloof, because it really... <laughs> is not aligned with trust building and being open and honest it's like here i am i'm over here and i'm i'm untouchable and and uh, you can't penetrate my shell and uh i was so upset by that i was like oh my gosh here i am i i have all this this team and we're going through this transformation and i'm so passionate about all of them and I'm perceived as aloof. And it was it was a game changer for me because I started to think about when I could actually see that behavior in myself. And how was anyone going to really trust me if I was untouchable? So those kinds of awareness, going back to the self-awareness thing, like do not be afraid to face those parts of yourself that other people see because that's that's what you portray and that's their reality, right? And And so... Being able to do what you guys just did at Notion, I think it's amazing because all of a sudden you take a huge step forward and, and a whole nother level is, is available to all of you to yeah, collaborate so. and solve problems. It's a tough thing to do. And I'm, you just take, I've been here for three years and I'm, I'm, I'm getting the hang of it now. But, you know, I'm, 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 probably, <laughs> I'm probably still the most, the most bottled up. So we talk about the most, um, some of the fundamentals of the kind of the company building phase. You know, the, the, the fundamental pillars that you want the business to build on to go from the kind of startup phase to you know, 5 million to 25 million in revenue. What, what, does it, what does that look like to you? So I think that the, the strategy translated into go to market Stephen is critical, and you know, this is more your space than my space. But how do we take what we're trying to achieve with our value proposition and translate that into an actionable plan to attract, win, and delight customers? And and that has to translate across the entire business in terms of you know where we go, what markets, what verticals, what what segments. What is our messaging to attract them right through to what does that service experience look like? Is it automation, self-service? Is it high touch? Is it a hybrid? How does our product lifecycle need to work to accommodate that go-to-market strategy and the people strategy? So go-to-market for me, that cascades across the business. We understand what we're, where we're attacking. We understand how we're going to do that. And that translates into every function across the business. So people are joined up around how we execute. It is really key because it's very easy to assume that people know that. And, and if it's not crystal clear, I think that you start to run into yourself because you, someone starts veering off somewhere. Oh, you know, we decided to, to, to focus on, on this market with marketing just to, just to see what happened. Or we've built this feature that has nothing to do with anything that we're trying to achieve to delight the constituents in our go-to-market. I, I think that's pretty critical. So clear go-to-market cascaded across all functions in the business, measures that are placed that, that people understand and can personalize and are constantly communicated. And the, the next part of that, I think, is around data and communication. So what 
do we need to understand about our business in terms of what's happening here? What is our real performance and what are the things that matter around growth, around profit, around customer sat, around our employee satisfaction? So we need to make sure we have the high level metrics that give us that kind of sense of we've defined the North Star, which is our strategy. We understand how the business is performing against that, but also then the detailed level down before that in terms of What's happening with quality in our business? Do we have how many defects are we rolling to production? What's our what's our resolution time with our customers? Do we have the right practices with our teams? Are, are people following up and writing with customers to demonstrate they understood and heard them and, and develop rapport and reciprocity? It's about a lot of things below that line, Stephen, which we can measure and we can track and we can communicate about and, and make better. So I think that data and information is absolutely critical and, and finding a vehicle to communicate is equally critical because even if you're doing it on a spreadsheet, if you can't communicate it to everybody, it's getting lost and you're not getting the benefit of, of that work. The, the next thing, it may seem a little kind of silly in motherhood and apple pie, but this is really critical at this stage that you have capable, present and inspiring leadership and a people plan. So, you know, not not everyone's going to be the inspirational, you know, kind of out there visionary leader in your business. But what's important is they're capable and that that capability and that skill in and of itself is inspiring because people can see the competency of their leadership, their ability to communicate. The fundamentals are in place, the, the performance management, the development, the constant dialogue around how you're doing, are you on track, how can I help you at, at an individual level, level, at a team level, at a functional level is very important so that it's not just about skill, it's about presence and, and people derive inspiration from different types of behaviors. But if you have a balanced team who are fundamentally skilled at leading people, you will make it through the bumps that exist in this growth phase, as long as, as, long as clearly you have the right strategy in place. And finally, we talked about it earlier, but you've got to have some kind of internal technology strategy that makes it easy to work in your business. I talked about the seamless you know, customer um, experience, but it's really about everything in your business. You should drive for frictionless ways of working. What do people do? How do we collaborate? What are the systems we need to optimize that, make them fully integrated and, and make it easy for people to find the, the information they need and to do their jobs? So the, so the simple stuff is, is easy because it's codified into, into your systems and they are working on higher order things because more than likely a lot of the companies that, that are like on Babel and the ones you're investing in have a lot of very capable knowledge workers and technologists who want to solve bigger problems and not be doing manual process. And at this phase, that will become a barrier to growth. And it may also cause a lot of employee dissatisfaction if you're not paying attention to it. When we talk about the kind of this, this kind of phase of, of the kind of grow up phase, we, we often talk about the repeatability and the predictability. And, um, you know, we're looking for repeatable, predictable growth during this, this phase. But there's another key thing which you just you were touching on there, which is you're also looking for efficiency and productivity 
because by the end, when we come out of this phase, and now we're 25 million in revenue, we really need to have this down pat. We need to have really strong growth efficiency. We need to have off the charts customer delight. We need to have world-class SaaS metrics. Do you separate those two things in, in your mind that says, okay, well, this is how the machine's working, but this is actually how we work, make it work better and better? Is that, is that how you think? Yeah, I, I um, am always thinking about how we can make it better. And, and, you know, a lot of companies that enter grow up, as you said, it's kind of this awkward adolescence. And, and there's a lot of realization going on around, gee, we're here now and, and we need to be in this moment and understand how we excel in this moment and accelerate our business. And so there's this awareness phase. And, and once you tackle the fundamentals of what you need to put in place, people process technology to overuse that phrase, somebody needs to own this whole kind of philosophy and execution around continuous improvement. We, we kind of talked a little bit early, but because for me, it, it's never done. You've never arrived, right, Stephen? You are growing. The, the difference between 10 and 20 million is huge. That every 10 million adds another kind of you know, interesting level of challenge. And, and it, there, there are exponential inflection points at whether that's opening a new geography in a different part of the world or, or launching a whole new product line or whatever those things are that, that you probably are also inserting in your growth, right? So you have to constantly be aware of where are we now? How can we continue to evolve this and, and tune it? As you said, that how do I make this machine faster and more efficient, but also achieving the business outcomes I want so I don't leave the customers behind, I don't leave the people behind, I don't leave my financial performance behind. And equally, I need to create some capacity for my next wave of innovation of how, you know, what's the next great idea that that founding CEO is going to have that we need to make sure that 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 we have capacity to to bring to life. So I'm always thinking about continuous improvement. And I think that has to be a mindset at this point that you absolutely embrace. Yeah, we call it a kind of growth mindset. This constant, yeah. there's, there's almost a constant challenge of, you know, it was good. But, you know, on reflection, it was a C minus. I think we could do a lot better. And I think that that kind of paranoia stands us in 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 good stead. Yeah, I think that's a healthy a healthy paranoia is not a bad one. I was thinking a lot about this, um, Stephen, just being you know here at Unbabel and and kind of where we are in in our stage. And and one of the things we haven't talked about, which is obviously an area of passion for me, and and you know I'm quite obsessed about customers, is about at this stage, or even going into the grow-up phase, if you haven't really articulated as a leadership team and, and understood as a business what your leadership stance is, what is your strategy for customer centricity, then I think you have an opportunity there to even enhance some of the things we've talked about in terms of getting that alignment around what it means to be customer centric. And, and that's, you know, that's not, Oh, we have great NPS on our support calls. That means that, that we, from the start of the process, we understand our products and our go-to-market so well that we're focused on the right customers. Our qualification is joined up and we're not going to qualify in customers for whom we cannot solve the problem that they have. So we listen 
we validate, we repeat back, and, and we're sure when we engage with a customer, we are able to solve the problem, assuming you know we can get through the sales process as that customer and we have defined it. So it starts there and it goes through every part of the business relative to how how we align again our engagement systems with that with the with the customer what information we know about our performance so that we're sure that we are we are growing our expansion are is is hitting all the targets we have negative net churn because expansion is is exceeding churn we have the the the, the data in place that demonstrates that we have happy customers we have happy people who tend to want to be engaged in that customer journey because they feel like they're part of it and we're investing with them and they understand their contribution and they, and they know what that means. And, and they feel as though they're in it with us and it's not, you know, here's what the management said and I'm just going to do my job. They feel like they own the customer irrespective of, of where they sit. So the man or woman who's, who's developing code for the next release really owns the quality really owns that i i'm doing a service for customers and and i own this i think the digital strategy is key for this in terms of how customers relate and the information they receive etc as we talked about earlier but i think there's a there's there's a lot of things about understanding what customers mean for your business that at this stage is really clear because in, in b2b and especially if you're focused on enterprise Losing a customer is like cutting off an arm. You know, this is gold. You've earned their trust initially. They believe that you could solve their problems. And keeping them and growing them and nurturing that relationship is so critical, not only for the health of your business, but for the the belief in the business that we have something of value. I think the customer centricity is fascinating. I wonder how you think about the people centricity, the, the human operating system, if you like, or the human architecture. Uh, you call it the people architecture. Sorry, excuse me. I remember talking to, to Vasco literally just a few weeks after our first investment. And um, we were sitting in a, in a room and we'd been over for a week and we'd been going around all sorts of things. And, and I said, just what, just think about something. We're not gonna, I'm not going to ask you how this is going to play out, but just just imagine in five years time, you've got 600 people and he, his eyes went wide and he just looked at me and I said how how have you changed how's the company changed and how are those people really you know performing at a, at a high level that's going to be quite an exciting journey isn't it and and I think that bringing it down to kind of numbers like that and saying well we've gone from 25 to 125 to you know I don't know 1,250 people how do you how do you grow that fast and keep the people with you and, and, and increase productivity as um, as you grow. <laughs> That's it, obvious. It's quite difficult, as we know. Um, so, so I think the, the key of, about this is, I think, first in the first instance, seeing the wave coming, Stephen, before it smacks you upside the head, right? And this is why data is so important. It's that insight that says, I can see the trends, not just in our, you know, our historic data, like what we did last quarter or last week or last month, but I can look into the funnel because we start to get, at this stage, you should have some predictability in your sales performance, right? You should be able to say, 
I know at this stage with this with this deal dynamic that our probability, regardless of what it says in CRM, that we're going to hit this much of that. So you can start to look ahead and see the nature and shape of your funnel and who those accounts are and what their expectations are, as well as what does that mean for transactional volume, just the pure, hard transactional stuff that has to go through your business, whatever your unit of measure might be. So you have to be looking ahead always because when the wave hits you, you know how hard it is to swim against that current. And and so I highly recommend to people to leverage the information they have available to them to do this. And it's funny in, in some of these businesses, you know, HR or people ops is kind of an afterthought. Oh gosh, we're nearing 100 people. We should get some. It's actually, no, you need to think about how we're going to grow our people and what kind of capability we need in this business. We talked about this earlier, developing people, your pillar people, and, and the knowledge of working capacity in your business to, to get stuff done. So see the wave. Invest in your people operations early enough to get in place your employee engagement strategy, hire to retire, who are the people, what are their profiles, where do we get them, and how do we ensure we have a continuous cycle of engagement with the world around the type of talent we need in this business, and build the infrastructure that that makes that possible. So what's our internal versus external strategy for, for people acquisition? What's our process for recruiting in a way that's consistent and we are measuring the right things for culture fit, for value fit, for skill, for experience? with the basics that everyone has a common framework around and how do we onboard them, which we talked about earlier, so that they, they know what to do when they arrive. They know what, where the assets are they need to, to utilize to do their jobs and to be effective. And they have an infrastructure around them, a, a good manager. They, they have people ops. They, they understand the vision because they're part of the communication. The infrastructure will enable you to take some of the pain out of that growth. And then you have to just literally gauge what's our capacity as a business to bring people in? What is possible? Because if, if we bring in 10 today or 20 can we absorb them and make that a good experience? Because we don't want to bring in 20 and, and lose 10 because in six months' time, they didn't have a good onboarding. They're not feeling like they're part of something and, and they're not feeling like we're investing with them. So see the wave, use your data to do it. Build your infrastructure early enough so you can understand what you're trying to accomplish and educate the organization about what that means and test your capacity to do this well internally because you want to make sure the hires you make stick and, and you, there's always going to be some failure rate, but you want to, to minimize that. So what's on, um, one last thought, what, what's on your to-do list over the next six months? All of that. <laughs> what's the number one, number one thing? We talked about my list. <laughs> what's um, the number one on your to-do list? Can I have two? <laughs> you can. <laughs> May I have two? <laughs> May I have two. Okay. So there's a lot of work that's top of my list around the people's architecture and, and infrastructure side. And infrastructure seems like a very inappropriate term to use when you talk about people. But what I just talked about there, Stephen, in terms of 
not necessarily the recruitment bit, although that's a definitely an ongoing focus, but it's the it's the things we talked about earlier around getting in place the infrastructure that allows us to understand how we invest in people, we develop them, we give them career tracks, professional development, career pathing, and we make sure that they understand not just how to excel at their job today, but we're having a dialogue with them around what their opportunities are at Unbabble because we want them to stay and we want them to be part of the future. So there's a lot of work going on there, which which is around how do we make the people experience at Unbabble the best experience they've ever had in their career. And what's interesting about that at this phase is there may be some some discrepancy in what people think is a good experience. So, you know, some people may think, yeah, it's like we go out a lot together and we have beer and we have a laugh and it's a great time. And, and some people say, yeah, I like that, but I really want somebody to care about my career and my skills. And you need to make sure you're listening and paying attention to where are our people at now and how do we make sure that we balance the needs of the of the demographic as it's evolving, because if you are attracting a lot more senior talent or talent from businesses where this has been in place, they have an expectation, as, as we discussed earlier. So the people agenda is very, very top of my list because we have amazing people here. And so anyone listening to this shouldn't even dream about poaching them because I'll track you down. But, um, but we want to keep them and we want to continue to, to attract the best people to, to Unbabble. So people agenda is high. The next thing is really about this kind of enabling architecture and, and process side. So we, we know we need to go through that, that phase of the, the moving from manual, non-repeatable and scalable process into things that we can automate and codify into systems and join them up. So, you know, we went through that stage together at Message Labs and, and we're very much in that stage now. And that becomes a game changer because it also impacts the people. And if they see that we're investing in, in enabling them to, to make a different higher order contribution, that's another belief point for them and another satisfaction. Thank you. I think that was a, a great sum up. Carmen, it's been it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, and um, I'm, as I said at the beginning, absolutely delighted that that you're working with the the extraordinary team that is Unbabble. So, looking forward to see what what you guys can achieve. Thank you, Stephen and, and Paul. It's been a pleasure sharing this time with you. I've enjoyed the conversation and hope to have another one again sometime soon. Oh, we will. We will. I, I noted something you said at the beginning. You said that the context changed, but the question stayed the same. The one thing you didn't mention is that both of you since then have gained a lot of experience that showed throughout this conversation. That was fascinating. So thank you so much, guys. Pleasure. Oh, thank you. 